0: Welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, I need you to go into our intro with our first topic because what I put in our agenda is not safe for the listeners of this fine show's ears. It's true. There were some expletives, but uh, listen, they were probably they were probably warranted. Uh, I want to ask you a question, and I okay. you're going to have to censor yourself because while we're not you know, uh, uh, we're not, we're not totally wholesome, I guess, you know, you and I have been known to say a curse word or two or five. Um, We can't say what you've said. Otherwise we're explicit and we don't want to be explicit, but I would like to know your feelings on, well, really, I don't even know on, on, on everything, right. On the government stepping in and potentially, regulating places like robin hood robin hood regulating you from yourself and not allowing you to trade the way that you want to talk about squeezes talk about uh, talk about shorts talk about short squeezes talk about all of that stuff how do you feel i know i have an idea of how you feel given that the background of your zoom meeting is currently a stonks background that you are going to the moon But how do you feel for the listeners who may not know your personal opinions? Oh, boy, this is a big can of worms you just opened here. And I don't know, you know, I will have to try to censor myself here. But everything that's going on, if you've been living under a rock and have not seen everything, especially today, like, let's sum up today in the fact that AOC and Donald Trump Jr. agreed on something. That's how you know something is a big friggin' problem. And I think regulation is never the answer. Anytime legislatures and regulators, they don't give a crap about you or your family, your hopes, your dreams, your future, your bank account. All they care about is making their donors happy. So regulating Robinhood and the like, which you should use public instead of Robinhood. Robinhood is dead. Get them out of here. They it's like, they aren't out to help you. They're going to make up a rule and they're going to say it's to help you. And really it's just going to make your life harder. It's going to make it more expensive. It's going to create more barriers to entry. I bet after this, they're going to like what to be an accredited investor. Now you either have to have make $250,000 a year or have a net worth over a million dollars. They're probably going to raise that and say it's to help protect us poor people. They are they're trying to keep the pre-rich pre-rich and the and it's not a matter of taking their money and spreading it around or whatever. It's a matter of letting me do whatever the heck I want to because it's a free country and I can live my own life. And if I want to go put a bunch of money in Dogecoin and ride it to the moon, then that is my right to do so. If I want to lose all that money because Dogecoin is a meme of a cryptocurrency, <laughs> then that is also my right to do that. And you don't get to tell me Mr. Hedge Fund, that because a bunch of people got on Reddit and started acting like an organic hedge fund of just saying, hey, let's all buy this together to manipulate the market, which is exactly what hedge funds do, that it's okay for you to do it. But now that you're losing, we got to change the game. We got to move the goalposts and we have to change the rules to protect you because we're losing at our own game. That's what's happening today. And I got a big freaking problem with it. Uh, I did make, I think I ended up making six or seven hundred bucks on Dogecoin. So that meme has paid off for for me a little bit today. But Robin Robin has not given me credit for the sale that I made an hour and a half ago. So who knows? Maybe that 6 or 7 hundred bucks is just I can't remember the exact amount, but it might just be floating in the abyss. It might be that Robin Hood is just closing up shop and taking up money like nobody knows. Robin Hood, well, yeah, I mean they 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 very quickly went from, you know, robbing from the rich to give to the poor to just robbing from everybody to give to themselves, I think, because man, they took a turn today when they started regulating what stocks you could and could not buy. Right. And it's not, I mean, here's the thing is there should be with the things that happened, there should be people going to jail because there is a difference between like openly saying, this is what we're doing, whatever, working together and changing the rules behind the scenes to screw over other people. Like there's a difference between playing a game and losing and changing the rules to, to make sure you win. Right. Like it's, I don't, and so I don't think there should be any regulations blocking people from playing the game, but you got to play the game fair. And if you lose the game, you need to crash and burn. And that's the problem is, I don't know, I sent you this link last night. There was Chamath, I don't know how to say his last name. I'm not even gonna try, but his Twitter handle is at Chamath. He was an early Facebook He's the employee. man, by the Dude, way. He is the man. He is running for governor of California and his platform is literally like four bullet points and he'd about make me ready to drive 10 miles and move back across the border so he could be my governor. But Chamath, he got on CNBC and did an interview and the host was like, but people are going to lose all this money. And he's like, and he's like, and they're going to get stuck. These regular retail investors, they're going to get stuck, you know, at the losing, getting the losing end of this stick. And that's not fair. And he's like, they decided to get in. Like, he's like, by you assuming, and this is a big problem I have with a lot of regulations. It's like you assuming and making that barrier to entry, you assume that normal people are too stupid to know what to do for like what they should do for their own good right? And it's this problem of we need to save people from ourselves. We'll never end up well. And that's a big problem that we have just in society it's like, let it burn, right? In 2008, let it burn. Yes, the stock market would have tanked a couple more years and it would have taken a little bit longer for a recovery, but people would have learned their damn lesson and not done it again. Instead, we're right back here at the same spot, but instead of over-leveraged mortgage-backed securities, we're talking about frigging GameStop, and nokia stocks like it's 1997 and it's the same exact like concept of things and it's okay if they're going to regulate things the rules are going to be made by the hedge funds because they're the ones who are donating all the money to the legislatures and legislators and then whoever and then they're going to make these rules that they can comply with really easily because they came up with them themselves and then if there is some type of bailout or something that's going to get extended to them we're still going to end up get stuck paying for it because we're the ones paying the taxes on it. As we print more money that our grandkids will have to pay. I love it. I mean, I don't know what more I can add. I agree with so much of what you've said. And I have, this is not a government podcast. Welcome to give them hell Brigham. We do talk about BYU sports and we'll get there, but this is important stuff. I have such a problem with the notion of save people from themselves. I really do. I, 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 think it maybe came from a good place 40 years ago, 50 years ago, when some of these things uh, came up. I'm reminded of like Reg D. Reg D, if you don't, well, most of you don't. I don't know why you would. I'm a little ashamed that I do know Reg D off the top of my head. But basically, Reg D was invented, I think, in the 70s or 80s. And it was the regulation that limited how many transfers you can make out of your savings account each month to six. And at the time, it was, hey, Americans are struggling with their finances. They need to save money. If we're going to have savings accounts, let's put some restrictions on how many times they can take money out of those savings accounts, and that will help them save money. Okay, great. Like, I, I think it's a fine motive. Uh, I wasn't around in the, when, when it was originated, so I don't know that I have an opinion on whether it was good or bad or whatever, but it existed. Now, you know we're however many years later, and there's so many different ways to save money, there's so many different ways to earn money, and there's so much information and material out there and available to everybody because of this crazy thing called the internet that you don't have to be a genius to learn how to save money anymore. And so why, why do we still have this regulation that is restricting us to so much out of our savings account each, each month? It's silly. There are now checking accounts that offer more, uh, a higher interest rate than savings accounts. I, my bank offers a checking account, that still, even today in this current climate, it has a 2% interest rate on it. You're not gonna find that in most other savings accounts. So I can go and put my money there, earn more money, and have infinite amount of, of transactions, but the government still says, no, we're gonna help you save in this savings account by saying that well, you'll be penalized if you have more than, than six transfers. If I want to invest money in GameStop, a company that I know is not doing well, a company that I know has not really been a, a real company like in years, right? Since, since the video game company started to do digital downloads, GameStop and their pawn shop uh, trade of games is, is, is a thing of the past. But if I want to put money in GameStop, people don't need to tell me that it's dumb it can be dumb. And if it's dumb, I'll lose my money. That's my dumb choice to make. But if a whole bunch of us decide to make a dumb choice together, and the rules and the construct of the game allow us to make money, great. Great. And my biggest problem, my biggest problem, and this is Chamath, who you talked about, what he really hit home, is that who is saving the hedge fund companies from their own stupidity? When these hedge funds When they are over leveraged, when they have 140% shorts of a stock, right, they have more in shorts than the stock exists, than there are shares of stock. Why, Why are we not giving them the lecture? Why is there not more regulations being placed on them? They're the ones who did this crazy, stupid thing, right? Like they had more in shorts than stocks existed. I don't know enough to know exactly what that means, but it really doesn't matter. I know that you can't possibly have 140% of something when there's only 100% in existence. You don't have to be a rocket scientist or a financial major to understand that. But- According to when, all youth athletic coaches though, it caps out at 110%. That's true. So, okay, so you can't have 140% of 110%. But when we play the same game, we being the collective Reddit board, the collective regular people, when we say, "Hey, let's play this game," we can do this. You know, we can buy this stock; it'll go up, and they won't have any choice but to sell, and it will, we'll be able to make money. Then it's ah, these morons on Reddit. Do you? I don't think people realize that you don't have to be like even college educated anymore. Like, there's so many smart people that you don't have to go to school to do it anymore. You can build your own Google Cloud database that has as much computing power as a hedge fund. for for, for absolutely free. And there's enough information out there that you can have all of the same information for free that the hedge funds have. And depending on how your brain works, you can build better better models and better algorithms that you actually have better information and you're just doing it on a laptop sitting at your house. Right. And that's kind of what Shamath hit on is he was like, he went on. So on, there's a subreddit, Wall Street Bets, and he's like, I went on there and started reading, and the due diligence that people were posting was as in depth and as well researched and as valid as anything for the people that I actually know who are financial analysts that work on Wall Street who do this for a living, right? Like, like you said, it's I hate the idea that you know, people, because they don't work in a certain field or whatever, there's that like, people are too dumb to say them for themselves. And like you said, you know, you, maybe it started with a good place, but really if there's no punishment or pain, or, I mean, it doesn't have to be physical pain. Right. But if there is no hurt or no consequence from something, doing something stupid, then the lesson will never be learned. Right. There was no real consequence in 2008 with how things were shuffling mortgage-backed securities. And now we're here and no lesson was learned, right? And if you let these hedge funds burn, you think that they're gonna buy 150% of the available stocks and shorts. Well, I guess not buy them. They are currently have loaned to them, right? And it's and it's not even like they're just independently doing it. All these hedge fund managers they go to idea dinners and they say they get all together and they legitimately sit down and plan, okay, if we all buy this. Then we can screw this person over, or we can pump this stock up. They did the exact same thing, and there is a uh, there's a Netflix documentary about a guy who shorted Herbalife, the MLM like mm-hmm. quote unquote health food company, and all he shorted it, and all of the hedge fund managers did the exact same thing that Wall Street bets is doing to them. They all got together and said, "He's shorting it. We don't like this guy." Like he's been kind of been going against the grain and we have our little insider club and we look out for each other to make sure we prop each other up. He's been going against us. Like, let's take him out. And they did the exact same thing that's happening to them now. And now they're pissed. Don't bail them out. Let them all fail. Let it burn to the ground. And then they won't freaking do it next time. Cause you don't, you don't grab like no little kid grabs the hot stove five times, right? You do it once, burn your finger. And you're like, I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> uh, well, I'm sure that if you're still listening, you're ready for us to to move on from this subject. We really could start our own podcast to just talk about the hypocrisy of government, the hypocrisy of society. But the, one, the my one last, and I'll, I'll let you give the last thought, but my last thought on this is maybe there's some good that is going to come from this whole GameStop situation. And it's this, capitalists, true capitalists that really, believe in free and open markets have seemingly united with socialists who want a redistribution of wealth right now we need the free and open market to screw the rich people and get some of that money back into the regular people and in three days of a reddit forum and a couple of uh, of old companies that are starting to fail has done more to unite the country, unite the two parties who are on polar ends, polar opposite ends of the spectrum. We have been more united in the last three days of the last of the craziness within the stock market than we have been in the last decade of government trying to step in and help. So that is my last thought. Maybe, maybe some the people who used to be the Occupy Wall Street people that the capitalists were like, ah, oh, go get a job, like come on. Those people are now friends. Like they are friends in this battle together. And yeah. I enjoy that. It is Maybe I do we will be friends it. forever. And I think my final thought is people are good. People are smart. They now, thanks to the internet, have an unlimited um, and unfathomable amount of information at their fingertips. And if you just get out of the way and let people do their thing, people will be innovative. They will be creative. They will be entrepreneurial and they will be generous in helping other people. Yes, you're going to have like the stupid people who are trolls or whatever, but for the most part, people want to live a good life and help other pe- people live a good life. And if we just get the hell out of the way, then that will happen. Did you see what the guy, like the, I can't remember what his username is, but the, the primary dude on, on Wall Street bets, what he wants to do. He wants to earn enough money with this GameStop short squeeze that he can afford to buy the home of the CEO of Melvin, the the, the hedge fund that, we're, that they're screwing out right now that had all the shorts. He wants to buy the Miami beach home of Melvin and turn, that's, that's in Miami. He wants to turn it into a GameStop. That is beautiful. That is his goal. So, Yes, people are generally good. They will do the right thing. And other people are petty and they will buy your house and turn it into a GameStop if they if you wrong them. And I don't feel bad because Ken Griffin, the dude who is the head of Melvin Keppel, he made six billion dollars last year shorting yeah. the market before COVID hit. And All screwing our other company. So yeah, you no, know, you can get bent. You made a bad choice. You shouldn't have done it. This is what happens when you lose. Okay, sometimes you strike out whatever. Live with it. Um, but sometimes you lose. That is our intro. And that's the longest what? intro and that was feisty and Garrett have- Garrett has a mustache. We actually both have mustaches. I that do that have- happened organically. Garrett's looks way better than mine. Garrett is like a a He is the picture-perfect facial hair person. He always is. And I think he can grow a full beard overnight if he wants to. Like, he doesn't really have to think about it. It just happens. But his mustache comes in, and it's not a Tom Selleck mustache. You're not as thick, meaning as wide. Not like it's a very full mustache. But it's not as wide as, like, a Tom Selleck mustache. But it's got that same thickness to it, and it stretches out longer. You've got more length in your mustache than a Tom Selleck does. It's a it's a fabulous mustache. Mine is all wispy and gross. I've been growing mine for a while. I really do. I look like Andy mm. Reid. When I shave my head, I'm fat, I have this mustache, and I, I feel great about being Andy Reed. So this is actually my playoff mustache, but watching you make this rant with that mustache, it feels like it brings a different level of credibility. That you are ready to not only lead this rant and lead a movement and a revolution, you're also ready to lead Give Em Hell Brigham into a new phase of Give em, Hell Brigham where we not only have a podcast, we also have a magazine. You yes. just look more official now. It looks more – it just seems real. Like You look like a guy that when you look at Garrett, you go, wow, that is somebody who is successful. That is somebody I want to listen to, take advice from, and I want to follow. And I don't know if it's the combination of your hat and your must I don't know what it is, but there's something about you today that says, yes, follow that man. I think it's the stonks background. You it can, could be. You know, I, you, I almost always, here's I what I'm going to do. I'm actually going to scratch this now. I enjoy charts that go up and to the right. You know, it's, and I, speaking of this hat with my green hat, I, so I shaved out, trimmed off the beard, went back to the mustache, and then the next day at work, I was wearing this green hat again. And the all my co-workers started calling me luigi and then i kind of regretted wearing the hat but (laughs) it really fits but we do have give hell the magazine coming and we talked about this last week we mentioned that we were going to have six or not six i don't know why i said six we had six left as of recording last week because we had two down now we had we're going to have eight sponsorship things to go in the printed magazine and we have one left and so we're off to a good start We've started planning the content. We're shooting for an April print because we're gonna to have to, you know, we gotta do it, get the layout, and then we have to get that back. And then we're gonna to have to, you know, try different few different websites to test sample copies and check those out. And then we're gonna autograph all the printed copies. So that means I'm gonna to have to work on my signature. I don't know if they have professional signature coaches, but my signature is ugly as hell. So I'm gonna need to work on that a little bit before I send it to all you fine people. But the magazine is coming. And it's going to be freaking awesome. So we have one sponsorship left. We've got, I'm trying to think of some of the sponsorships that we have already. We've got a, we're going to have a discount at Modern Missionary. So if you or someone, you know, has a, is going on a mission soon, that discount alone will cover your cost of the magazine. We got fly fishing trip discount in there. We've got a gym excited about, I booked my own fly fishing trip.
1: Oh, you did. You're you're going out
0: with Spencer. I am I'm going out I don't uh, I guess he did announce it so we can't say that now right like it is with sir and uh, I can't wait I really really can't wait um, we're going to go out end of June me and my dad we're going to have a great time I'm excited about it so that is one that I would be very very thrilled about uh, the the benefit that you will get if you get the print edition of the Give Em Hell Brigham magazine the print edition and so Who else did we have? Oh, we are going to have uh, donuts from Day's Market in Provo. Brock Day is a big fan fan and big friend of the show. If you uh, are in the Provo area up on the bench near Timview, you can go do your shopping there and he will take care of you. So we have a lot of things. Basically, if you use one or two of the coupons, which I think we have a good enough spread, all of you who buy the print magazine will find something to make it worth it. And you're going to end up getting your money back. You're going to get a great magazine, a limited edition collector's item autographed, and it's going to be a good time. It is. It's going to be a very, very good time. Um, It'll be a lot of fun. The content itself, I'm excited about. We've brainstormed different ideas, and obviously we're not going to. This is a tease. We're not going to tell you what the content is. You have to read the magazine, but it's going to be spectacular. That much I can promise you. It is give them hell, Brigham, in written form and i cannot wait about it Uh, i cannot wait about it that doesn't make any sense i cannot wait for it um i can wait look i was we've talked about this in the last couple of weeks that i've had some struggles i've had some issues getting on board with this basketball season Uh, i don't know if it's the fact that there aren't any fans i don't know if it's that maybe i'm just used to offensive basketball and right now BYU's kind of been a a defensive team so maybe I'm not as excited about just the brand of basketball that they're playing I don't know what it is but I've just struggled to get into this season that changed that changed after BYU's undefeated trip to the Bay Area when they beat St. Mary's and San Francisco I started to feel the love I started to get excited about it and look forward to basketball games again they broke my heart this week they broke my heart when they lost to Pepperdine. Now, that isn't going to keep them out of the NCAA tournament. It really doesn't change the momentum there at all. Road wins are hard to come by. And so when you lose a game on the road, nobody's going to hold that much against you. But, man, yeah. it killed my momentum. If we want to talk about memes, let's talk about lose BYU basketball in Malibu. That yeah. is a meme right there. Oof. It's bad. And Every- it's been bad. I don't, yeah, I don't get it. Like how, you know, I don't get how this works, or you know, what's going to happen with it. But it's like, you know, it's bizarre to me how, like, it just seems like that is kryptonite. Yeah, it's bad. BYU fell. Uh, they lost by three points, seventy-six to seventy-three, uh, to Pepperdine, and yeah, it was a kind of a killer of a game it didn't hurt their resume. Like I say, BYU is still 13 and four. It's not going to, it's not going to really change even their seeding in the, in the tournament. Like it may change some bracketology that people are going to change. You know, Lenardi might take them from a, a nine seed to an 11 seed or something. I I don't know. There's still plenty of time to make that up. There's still plenty of losses uh, that will happen from teams ahead of BYU. So this doesn't really change the outlook of the season but it does shrink the margin for error, right? I mean, that does mean that BYU, okay, this is the bad loss. Most teams outside of, you know, the one seeds, most teams have a bad loss or two along the year. This is the bad loss that sucks. You know, bad losses aren't fun. They can't have two bad losses, and you definitely can't have three bad losses. So you've already had your one bad loss out of the way. So now the margin of error, it's razor thin. If BYU were to drop uh, a game to Pacific, this weekend on on Saturday in a makeup game when they were originally playing San Francisco, who had COVID issues. Now BYU will play Pacific. If they lose to Pacific, now, now BYU is squarely on the bubble. Now we have to worry about the Cougars making the tournament. So the margin, margin for error is, is razor thin. But and, so long as they don't sh- slip up, they're going to be just fine. Are they taking – have they determined the size of this year's field yet? Because there was some talk of knocking it down from 64 or I guess 68 with the play-in to like 42 I, or something or whatever. I don't believe they have officially said anything. So most bracketologists are still projecting 68 teams. I would kind of be surprised if those play-in games happen, frankly. I think they'll, they'll – uh, At most, I I feel like 64 is the number because all the games are going to happen in Indianapolis. So they're all moving into a a makeshift bubble, right? So it's hard for me to think that they would also, while they've got everybody in the same spot, why would they have a play-in game at that point? It feels a little weird. Um, The NCAA I read this week, they lost $600 million last year. And it was largely driven by, because remember, folks, college football, and the NCAA are not really a thing, right? Like it is NCAA football, but the college football playoff and the BCS Holdings LLC is what makes the revenue in college, fo- or who gets the revenue rather in college football, the schools, the conferences, and the college football playoff, not the NCAA. The NCAA gets all of their revenue from the, the Olympic sports and mostly from uh, NCAA tournament. $600 million is a huge hit. They cannot afford to do that again. So I do feel like they will push for as many games as they possibly can. I, I would be very shocked if it's less than 64 teams. Uh, so it really, we have one more loss that can uh, feasibly that we can get by with, but it depends on who that loss is to, right? If that loss is to St. Mary's or to San Francisco, then probably still okay. If that loss is to Portland, we're going to have some problems and it's probably going to be from the outside looking in. And I don't think the NIT is going to happen this year because they're not going to be able, like they don't make enough money to bubble. And they, as it is, they do most of the first few rounds on, or most of all of the first few rounds on campus at schools. And so, I mean, maybe it will happen and then they'll just do a little bubble thing, but those, you know, it's, things are getting iffy unless you know we can always close out the season with the win over gonzaga and that will fix everything so there is that would would fix a lot we beat gonzaga in provo then everything's all right winning fixes everything so yes it does winning fixes everything four stars fix everything that's a big deal you want to have as many four-star players on your football team and basketball team, but football team, as you could possibly get. Let's just rattle off some of the recent four stars who have had success at BYU guys like Fred Warner, guys like Bronson Cafusi, Kyle Van Ooy. I mean, typically, not every time, but typically when BYU gets a four star like a Chaz on you, they play very, very well. Now, there have been injuries, Loggy Tui Fuwa, Troy Hines, that have kept some four stars from being really, really great. And obviously people are going to go back and they're going to point to um, Jay Heaps as you know he didn't, he didn't live up to his rating. But four stars by and large at BYU have done very, very well. And they're, they, BYU has signed two four stars now this year, two. Uh, Logan Fano has been a four star for a while. And he was the only one Uh, 24 seven. We did our uh, usually this would be our final ratings release, but there might be a ratings update in the spring, depending on if California allows their teams to play football and some of those guys can move up. or down, but Raider to is officially a four star recruit on 24 seven sports, which is great. Raider has long deserved a fourth star and he has the ability to take over games and to be as productive as any of the four stars BYU has had, you know, any of the Vannoy's and any of the, uh, the Warners and those types. So very, very, very well-deserved fourth star for Raider DeMooney, and also kind of a big deal for BYU. Uh, This year, there were six four-star recruits, four-star or higher recruits in the state of Utah. BYU signed two of them. Oregon signed three, and USC signed one. BYU got 33% of the four stars out of the state of Utah. That doesn't happen very often. That's a huge deal. And when Logan Fano committed and we talked time talked about this that like he mentioned he wanted to like turn the tide, right? And like bring it back home and stay home. And obviously, I mean, Fano and Raider Jamudi have been joined at the hip for a long time and but you know, this is maybe it's the start of that. Right, like it could be the start of something great, and hopefully we see it next year. And I don't, I haven't looked actually. Let me pull this up right now. Uh, let's see. Uh, next year's going to be tough in the state of Utah. Right, I mean, it's uh, the, top are, um, the top guys are the top guys. I I mean are either like Lander Barton, huge Utah guy that it would be absolutely shocking. If he goes anywhere but Utah. Uh um, Cody Barton's brother. It is, yeah. Yeah. And so he's a you. Cody Barton, Jackson Barton, both of those guys who who were Utah guys. Um Isa Moa is uh, already committed to Utah, another legacy player there. Uh he, he's a four-star. So it's gonna be tough for BYU to get some of those guys. Now that said. Carson Ryan is a four-star BYU is in a very, very good spot with Carson Ryan. I think as good as, as anybody right now. So potentially BYU could make some inroads there. George Miley likes BYU a lot. He really had a good relationship with coach Mateos. It's going to be tough. Going to be really tough to keep, uh, uh, to get George Miley. I don't know that Utah gets George Miley either. I think he probably goes to USC. Uh, In fact, I have a crystal ball in for Miley to go to USC already, but he's going to be another four-star BYU already has Noah Moyaki committed. Uh, Moyaki is not a four-star yet, but certainly he's has the ability to get there. He's about in the same spot that Raider was last year, right? He's yeah, a very yep. high three-star and with a big senior season can get that bump. Yep, that's exactly where he's at. And then and then you get into the guys that are ranked in like the mid-80s that really round out the top 10, 15. Um, and, and some of those guys can absolutely get to four-star territory. Dominic McKenzie, I'm so high on Dominique McKenzie, Brian McKenzie's son. I love where BYU sits with him. Uh, One of the fastest players that would be at BYU. If he were at BYU today, think of what everybody hoped to see from Luke Andrada as a freshman or as a sophomore, probably unfair because he was so new to the wide receiver position, but everybody hoped that, that, that Luke Andrada would just be this burner, right? That he would be the guy that comes in and on any given play could take the top off the defense. Well, Dominic McKenzie has that same kind of speed. He might even be a step or two faster than Luke Andrada is. And he was born and bred to be a football player. So Dominic McKenzie's huge. He's already rated an 86. Uh, there was a lot of hype given to the corner Canyon offense because of just the gaudy numbers that they put up this year. Noah Care who's going to play at Weber state. He, he led the country in receiving yards. A lot of that was attributed to the fact that he played in a, a very spread offense, very pass heavy offense. And he played with a USC quarterback in Jackson Dart. What a lot of people in the state of Utah don't realize is that fifth in the country in receiving yards this year in high school was a junior Dominique McKenzie out of Pineview high school. That isn't known for crazy offense. They didn't have a crazy great, you know, going to be a a USC type quarterback. Uh, And Dominic McKenzie put up 1700 yards this year. Like this dude can play. Uh, So, so I like where BYU's at with him. And then beyond that, as you go down the list, I mean, there's certainly some guys who can play uh, Cody Hagan, Dallas, Fakalahi, Harrison tagger. There's some studs, uh, but they have some work to do to get to that four-star territory. So it's going to be tough to, to get too many of the four stars out there at least in the state of Utah but if BYU can land a guy like Carson Gay out of Tennessee he's, he's going to be a four star Carson Ryan will be a four star Dominic McKenzie could be Moyaki could be so there's potential for this to be a very good class BYU just has to do they have to do well and they have to have a coach they have to have a full coaching staff and I don't know I haven't confirmed this I have conf- I, I, I have a pretty good feeling That one day BYU will fill out their coaching staff. It's starting to look a little bleak. That may not happen. So don't, you know, etch that in in stone. But I do think BYU will one day hire coaches. Yes. And it really goes to touch on Moyaki, because we talked about him. He's very underrated, right? Like that is that's a that's a good name, right? So Harvey Unga's wife who played basketball at BYU as well was Kalani Moyaki. He's related to her. Her brother Tony uh played football at Iowa and then played in the NFL for a few years. This was a third round pick and um you know and then their dad was you know played rugby at BYU as well. And so it's the Moyaki family is a very very athletic family and he's from good stock. So he is I think he's been committed for a long time and so we don't really talk about him much but the kid can play and he's got good potential it's like it's like anytime a kafusi commits to byu you're happy about it because you know what you're getting and it's like okay this kid's gonna play he's gonna have a good career may not be you know a first round draft pick but i know i'm gonna get really solid uh really solid thing um player and i'm really excited about him but Yes. With the coaching staff, people have, how many texts have you gotten this week asking what have you heard about the coaching staff? When is it going to get announced? Is it done yet? Who are we going to hire? I I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me and said something like that. I mean, we're dozens and dozens and it's locked down guys. I mean, that's really, that's really the truth. Now I, I, Kevin Clune, you can go ahead and and pencil Kevin Clune in. I, I, I am pretty sure, that is and by pretty sure like 95 uh sure that that is a done deal um i would imagine he coaches linebackers but who knows like he could coach a a number of different positions linebacker seems like the best fit but i i I do feel pretty confident in saying kevin clune done deal beyond that who's going to coach the offensive line Uh, Your guess is as good as mine folks, because I mean, there's a lot of names I could sit here and rattle off names. TJ Woods is still being considered. Uh, Brent Myers is still being considered. There's a number, you know, uh, uh, Brian best at Nevada is being considered. So there's a number of guys that are being considered, but as far as who is the leader, who would I guess it would be today? I have no idea. And information has been incredibly hard to come by. And it's not something that needs to be rushed, right? Like we just need to, well, last year, Harvey started spring ball and then didn't get hired till after. But really, we just need an O-line coach here before spring ball because we're not going to add any new linemen. Like there's no recruits that need to get have loose ends tied up before signing day next week to where it's like we are losing out on something because we don't have this O-line here anyway, coach here. And either way, even if there was, it would be one or two and you don't make coaching decisions based off of single, like chasing a single recruit, right? Like if the, and so it it's not going to affect recruiting. It's not going to affect anything else. And it's just, we need to get the right guy. And I think what's happening is, Aaron Roderick is scouring. He's talking to guys. He, you know, even if it's maybe something, somebody coming from the FCS ranks, it's maybe taking a little longer because they're getting ready to start like the big sky is starting their games in like three weeks. Right. So it's, you know, there's, it's, you know, and so it may be hard because you're trying to convince someone to dip right before their season starts, which really sucks. Like if, you know, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about possibly um, the Northern Arizona uh, coach and it's like, their first game is supposed to be in three or four weeks and they're practicing right now. And if they, it's like, it sucks for him to leave. And so maybe are you trying to work out things and be like, okay, well, we'll have a GA handle spring ball, but then we want you here. Like you have to be here in the summer or whatever. And so there's a lot to work out and it's more important to get the right guy than it is to make a quick hire, especially when, you know, if this was in the middle of the summer, obviously you just have to get somebody in there, but it's a long time until spring ball. And, you know, if you're looking at basically we got six weeks until spring ball. And I mean, they haven't officially announced the dates, but roughly five or six weeks until spring ball, you got another month before you need to nail this down. And like Kevin Clune, it's a done deal. He doesn't care about if his name isn't announced, right? Like it's, he doesn't care. His life is fine. And it's not going to change when he gets paid or how much he gets paid. He's not losing any money by having this weight here, whatever. So it's, the hire will come and it will come when the staff finds someone who they feel feel will not only bring expertise, but also experience to the equation. Uh, Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it is a wild thought that spring ball is five or six weeks away. Signing day is only is one week away. And it's kind of the forgotten day. Now with the emergence of the early signing period in December, February signing day has kind of lost its luster a little bit, which is sad that used to be a holiday. And now it's just a Wednesday where we all wake up and go to work. And, and maybe there's some BYU news that gets sprinkled in throughout the day. So it's kind of a bummer of a day, but it is a week from now. You kind of touched on it that uh, there's not going to be any additions from the high there. There might be some transfer portal additions, but they're not bound by signing day, right? They don't have to decide by that time frame. So next Wednesday, and really I guess it's this Wednesday, because we are recording a day late. It was your anniversary yesterday? Happy anniversary. Thank you. Uh, how long have you been married now? Three years. That's it. Three yes. years. And yesterday was also Pork Chop's half birthday. So you did that solo episode. That was six months ago. Wow. What a what a what a year it has been. And what a growth give him Hell Brigham has has had since that solo episode six months ago. I know I'm surprised that it didn't fall apart and just (laughs) I am too I'm glad that you the listeners voted that I should not do a solo episode yesterday Uh, that was a relief to me I asked because we are a show of the people and unlike Robin Hood we will always be a show of the people we will not sell out to the suits and so we asked the people people what do you want and you guys said you wanted Garrett on the show which was a huge relief to me because I've listened to that solo show from six months ago, dude, it's hard to go solo. I mean, it's really hard to be entertaining for an hour by yourself. So I'm glad you're back. I'm glad that the people wanted to hear from you more than they wanted to hear from just me. And if the people want to hear more from me then they can pay a visit to our new sponsor of the show me i am hey. sponsor- <laughs> i am sponsoring the show i have st- in addition to my day job working at lendio which if you do need a ppp loan you should come join visit us at lendio.com and fill out an application we're happy to help you and if you need a trucking loan you should talk to jeff at was it tab bank. Is that the name of your bank? It is. It is tab bank. We're also doing PPP loans, but I'll, I'll let Garrett have his, his time in the sun. I mean, you can do either the rates the same, right? It's taxpayer refunded. So it doesn't really matter where you get it, but if you rates are still really low on mortgages and many of you probably follow or are friends or have seen uh, and know Jeff Johnston uh, on the Twitter machine. Uh, I am now working with Jeff as a mortgage loan officer And the, you know, we are helping people try to save as much money as they can getting their mortgage. So come visit us at Evolve Bank and Trust. And I am now the latest sponsor of Give Them Hell Brigham. If you need help with a mortgage or just want to check a rate or possibly refi or do a cash out, I actually helped a, a listener of the show this morning is doing a cash out refi to do some renovations on their home. And we were able to do that cash out refi and keep their payment the same with where they at right now. Very good for everybody involved. So we can do a lot of things to help you. And we're here to help you. We're here to entertain you. We're here to help give you political advice earlier in the show with our rants, our football advice and thoughts with the bulk of the show, our off-season advice with the magazine. And we are also here to give you personal finance advice. Step into our office. We are in the financial realm and we are here to stay. So if you need help with the mortgage, DM me. DM Jeff, he'll give you my number Ask me for my number We can do, do it and get it checked out And we can give him mortgages Jeff, we can give them mortgages um, The only downside to you being the sponsor Is that uh, we get paid significantly less When you sponsor yourself In a way I mean, in a way I guess I should say I get paid significantly less when I mean, you sponsor yourself you and we have not yet had the discussion of how much my sponsorship fee that i'm tra- paying to the show yeah will be and that will well, be I, I think it should be a percentage of the mortgages you book that's what i think uh that is a respa violation so i can't do that because that's okay. illegal so but we will discuss and negotiate a fair price okay that's fair i like it that's a good deal it may, it may fluctuate based on listeners or other factors ah but okay, we'll okay agree upon a flat rate price for which to drive business through ads go see garrett if you need a mortgage he's great um you know who doesn't need to see you for a mortgage is Zach, Zach. freaking Wilson. Well, he will actually, because he's going to, he bought himself a Maserati, so he's going to need a house. Zach well, Wilson. Did he buy <laughs> himself the Maserati or is that a Maserati on loan from his uh, from his agent? Uh, it may not, well, it may be his, but it may have been purchased on a loan from his agent. So a lot of times an agent will, if, I mean, if you're a nobody, then like, relative, nobody like, sorry, Zane Anderson, you're not getting help like this, but if you are a high profile draft pick, then a lot of times your agent will front money or give you, basically give you a line of credit to hold you over until your contract is signed. And then just take that line of credit back out of your signing bonus. And one Zach Wilson has barely been living it up with this line of credit. He's living in a big old house while he's training. He. And last night was showing off on his Instagram that he got himself a new Maserati. Um, what would you pick? What I saw. Okay. The, the Maserati is dope, right? I mean, and we're talking, what is a Maserati? Like $7,500,000 car. I mean, so it's a, it's a super nice car. I don't know that I would have picked Maserati as my car of choice. If I could get, I mean, I'm a little bit redneck. So honestly, if I could get any car in the world, I would probably just get a big truck uh, or a, you know, one of the really fancy Broncos because I am a Bronco guy. Like that's probably what I would do, but I recognize that I, I think I'm in the minority, right? I think most people would go for some sort of a sports car or some sort of luxury SUV. What would your car of choice be if you woke up and found yourself in Zach Wilson's shoes? Um, I would probably same. I'd probably I'd buy a truck, and I'd buy a truck. I would enjoy the truck. And rather than spending a hundred thousand dollars on a Maserati, I would probably switch my dietary habits to eating exclusively Japanese A five or higher wagyu. Really, that's where you, that's where you'd go, huh? I mean, I would care more about being able to afford that whenever I wanted it than having a Maserati. Here, like I give you the thing. truck and then the beef. And actually, anytime, I would never wear a pair of socks more than once because there's just something okay. about when you pull a fresh pair of socks out of the package, uh-huh. flip them on your feet. Before I've, you I've told them. you about my dad, haven't I? No. My dad is not rich. He's not driving around in a Maserati. In fact, he drives around in a 2014 Nissan Titan. So, not rich. He rarely... I won't say never, but rarely wears the same pair of socks twice. In fact, for Christmas, he's a simple guy. He just likes the plain black Hanes socks. For Christmas, we will buy him roughly 300 pairs of socks every Christmas so that he can just put them on, take them off. If they make it to the laundry, great. If they end up in the trash, great. This is incredible. Yeah, this is who he is. He has completely rearranged his finances because like I say, he's not rich. He can't afford to do this all the time, but he has sacrificed other things in his life so that he can afford a new pair of socks every day. There's only trade-offs, right? Like, yeah. it's, I mean, I live in Arizona now, so I actually probably could afford to do this because I've worn non-flip-flop footwear Like three times in the last four months, so so you you could afford, right? I mean, I I literally wear socks like eight times a year. So where where should Zach Wilson go? Like where where do you? I have two questions for you. Where do you want him to be drafted, and where do you think he is drafted? Because those answers are probably different, right? Um, Hmm. Well, I want him to. Go anywhere, besides. I want him to go anywhere besides the Jets, and Mm -hmm. the latest PFF draft has him going to the Jets. Now, the the recent news with Deshaun Watson can change. Like in a week, within a week, every single mock draft will be blown completely away and should be thrown away because if Deshaun Watson is on the market pretty much every team in the league besides Kansas city uh, is in play to not need a quarterback anymore. Right. Like they will, they can upgrade by bringing in Deshaun Watson. I mean, not a bunch won't, Right. Cause like, I mean, Deshaun Watson versus Russell Wilson, you know, it's like kind of trading in for the younger, slightly better model at this point, <laughs> but it's right. But it's, so they're not going to do it, but it's pretty much more than half the league. Anyone who's t- drafting in the top 15 they could get better by having Deshaun Watson on their team and they should make moves to do happen. Like if I'm the Jaguars looking number one, number one overall, as much as I think Trevor Lawrence is like the best slam dunk QB prospect since Andrew Luck, Deshaun Watson has already proven Versus, you still don't know what you are getting in Trevor Lawrence. Like, there is still the downside risk is much lower with Deshaun Watson than it is with any single quarterback prospect who has not played in an NFL game yet, dude. And Deshaun Watson in that Urban Meyer offense, that spread offense, would be insane. Yeah, and every day at practice, Deshaun Watson would be like, "Dude, remember when we toasted you thirty-one to zero in the Fiesta Bowl and you yeah. cried and ate pizza?" Yeah, and yeah, I, that I would be happen. great. So, and if that happened, that's what I want to happen because then it pushes. If the Jaguars get Deshaun Watson, it pushes Trevor Lawrence down to New York and then it puts Zach Wilson probably maybe in Atlanta. He can sit for which a should year. be a fine place. It's it's not a great place, but it's a fine place. And I can get behind him being in Atlanta and he can sit behind Matt Ryan for a year, similar to how Patrick Mahomes sat behind Alex Smith for a year, right? I mean, then behind that, it's like Okay, Cincinnati, they just drafted Joe Burrow. Oh, I guess we skipped over Miami. They just drafted Tua. They're not going to do anything. (laughs) Well, I mean, there have been reports that they're not sold on Tua. So they could, depending on who's there, depending on how much they love uh, Justin Fields or uh, Zach Wilson, maybe they do. Maybe they trade Tua. They should trade down out of that position, really. And they should take Penne if they're, gonna, right. they're if gonna if they're gonna stay, gonna stay there, they use. need to take Penny Sewell, but if not, they need to trade down. Actually, they should trade down, get more picks, and then take Brady Christensen is what should happen in the first ah, round. Okay. That's what should happen. Okay. Um but like the Eagles, I could get behind that. Like Carson Wentz is meh. I could really get behind. I actually I could really, really l- would could get behind if he fell all the way to eight to the Panthers. I wouldn't hate that. Okay. okay. I think to answer my own question, where do I want him to go? I want him to be a 49er, not because I'm a big 49er fan. I really don't care. Uh, I was a 49er fan when Steve Young was there, but that was because I was a Steve Young fan since he left. I don't really care, but I think that the 49ers are built to win. They are a quarterback away and yes. they have a, boatload of draft picks so if they're able to to trade up to get zach or if zach's going to fall to 12 whatever scenario happens there i think if i'm a 49er fan i want zach wilson i love their offense uh kyle shanahan's a genius i think that uh zach fits really well there's a lot of underneath routes there's a lot of timing and accuracy and out of the pocket routes in that shanahan offense i love that fit I think I uh, I'm one of I'm I'm not the first person who said that I'm one of a a million people who believes that Zach would do great in San Francisco. So that's where I want him. Where do I think he's going to end up? I think he ends up a member of the Washington football team, which that was my first. uh, I I think they're what they're picking like, well, I guess they made the playoffs, so maybe they aren't. Um, they were initially going to pick like seventh, but then they They are at six and 10. So I think they're in the teens now do do, do, 19. Yeah, but they have picks. They have players. They have the ability, I think, to move up. That team is a quarterback away from, I think being very, very good in a very, very bad division. And that defense is unbelievable. Chase Young is going to be a pro bowler for years and years and years. Terry McLaurin on offense is going to be one of the best receivers in the league. They have a decent enough, not great middle of the pack, but decent offensive line. Um, I love, I love that team. I love what they bring to the table. I love that they're all young and they could play together for three or four years before they start having like that core would be together for three or four years before bigger contracts and things like that start coming through. And I think they could make some new, make some noise. Now, there's a lot of quarterbacks in this draft. So if Washington decides that they fall in love with a guy like Kyle Trask or Mac Jones, or even Trey Lance, they may say, Hey, we're going to stamp Pat. We think that we can win with one of those guys. They may think, Hey, we're not going to take a quarterback until the second or third round. And they'll take Jamie Newman, who everybody seems to have forgotten about, but he was going to, you know, supposedly be the guy that led Georgia to a national championship, but he opted out for the season started. Uh, So there's a lot of talent at the quarterback spot. So Washington doesn't have to move up, but I, I think they will. I think they will want to get into the Justin Fields or the Zach Wilson sweepstakes. And I think they have the capital to get there. That's my, my answer to my own question. Yeah. I could be down with him. I could be down with him in San Francisco. I could, I could maybe, get down with him in detroit now that dan campbell is there that could be interesting coming over from the saints i really just don't want to see him in new york with the jets right like it's so i don't know I, atlanta how, would be fine weird well. is dan campbell saying he's gonna bite people's kneecaps I don't know. it's it's weird but you know speaking okay actually now that I forgot to mention this and put this in our agenda and talking about the Detroit lions, because there is an urban legend. I don't know how true it is that at one point Lavelle Edwards was going to leave BYU to become the head coach of the Detroit lions. I've heard I this, um, but on this day in history, January 28th, in 1972, 49 years ago, was the day that Lavelle Edwards was announced as the head coach of Brigham young university. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And at the time BYU had, like, the fourth worst all-time record yeah. in Division I college football. Like, they were – you think of how bad Eastern Michigan is. That's the type of program. That's, like, where BYU is at in 1972, pre-1972. So this is, mon- uh, this is very important. I feel like it. the stars have almost aligned that we are recording on this day to celebrate this moment. That is. I wish we would have celebrated that – Um, I wish I would have known so that we could have celebrated that throughout the day. That's, that's fantastic. And Lavelle Edwards, what a, what a freaking legend. I know the stadium is named after him, but why, I mean, statues are what statues are like, you know, people love them, they hate them, whatever. Why is there not a statue? Why is there not a statue of Lavelle Edwards? Why is there not a mural of Lavelle Edwards painted on a wall somewhere? Why is the Utah County Credit Union that's just adjacent to the, to, to the stadium itself, why is that not dedicated to Lavelle Edwards? Why is there not more Lavelle Edwards sprinkled throughout Provo? There's Lavelle Edwards Stadium, which is great. Why is there not more Lavelle Edwards? This is a man who single-handedly put BYU on the map. Why is he not everywhere? Yeah, it's, I think this should actually- Are there streets named after him? I don't think there is. I don't think so, but- um, Get rid of University Avenue, Lavelle Edwards Avenue. Yeah. Why is that not a thing? And honestly, this day should be like something celebrated by, I mean, okay, we've got Cougar Day in the fall, right? Like, and we're celebrating Cosmo comes to your house, whatever, on- January 28th, next year, BYU Athletics, I know some of you are listening to the show, the Cougar Club, celebrate Lavelle Day. Okay, celebrate Lavelle Day. Send out an email asking for a $19.84 donation every single year on January 28th, and I will pay that money. Um, Lots people would. Listen, uh, you, you filibuster. I am going to set, we're going to find, are we still doing, They are. They're still doing the all-in campaign, right? Yes. All-in campaign for BYU. I'm going to do this for them. I am going to say, hey, we're all in 1984 to celebrate the 49th, you said? The 49th year anniversary. Uh, I'll do it after the show. But I'm going to do this. If the Cougar Club won't do it, we're doing it. Because this is – the best idea that we've ever had on this show. It really is. And it's a much better idea than that time you designed a hoodie and put it on our website, but then accidentally selected a supplier that would be sending it from the Czech Republic. This is a better idea than that one. Okay. That felt personal. I mean, it's not personal, but go look at the website and read the note at the bottom of the screen. Cause we have an announcement to our fans. Well, I gotta, I gotta pick up my pride because I did feel a little bit. (laughs) I thought it was funny. Our platform that like our print. So when you order things, they are printed on demand and sent directly to your house and it's kind of wonky and it's kind of, we've gone through some things trying to figure out like different suppliers and things and how to set it up and whatever. And so I noticed today as I was cleaning some things up and updating some pricing, to make it so we are not losing money because we were literally losing money on every single order before today. And well, that was a problem. Not every order, but, but m- some. Mo, yeah. Steven. And, but that's fine. That's what we said. We said, right. hey, we're just about getting these into your hands. We're not making a profit on these." Right. It was, well, we, we, we were losing more days. than I thought we were. Yes. And so I got on today and I noticed like Jeff actually – came up with the best design. It's our best-selling design. It is beautiful, and everyone should go purchase the our classic Give them Hell Brigham design. It's a very minimal, minimalist design. Is that how you would describe it? Just a I think simple text. that's what people say. The, yeah. With the, just the Brigham text, right? We're very sticky. The, the Give em Hell is a little like asterisk at the top, but it's just heavy on the Brigham, and that is why it's beautiful. But I noticed that these hoodies, the supplier, I was like, why is this order like, why did we lose, like, I went to order a sample, and I was like, wait a minute, this sample is not, this seems too expensive, because we're supposed to, like, the platform is supposed to give us a discount on the sample. Then I realized that the way the pricing was set up, we would lose, like, $8 if someone ordered one of these hoodies, which is not good business. And then I was like, why is this like this? And it's because it was set to send from the Czech Republic and (laughs) shipping would be $15 on a hoodie. If you're going to give me an option, uh, when I select what suppliers I use, honestly, I don't even look where it comes from. I look for sizes because I am a fat man who has had to search for sizes. And I know what it's like to be discriminated against because of my size. Do you know what it's like, Garrett? No, you don't because you're skinny enough that you go into a store and you see, oh my gosh, I love this shirt. Well, first thing you have to do is you have to go to the bottom of the pile every time because the big sizes are at the very bottom and it is a disheartening feeling. And then when you get to the bottom of the pile and they only order one of the big sizes and it's gone, that's a a shot. Like That hurts your, your core. So when I am selecting a supplier, I look at the supplier who gives me the biggest range of sizes because I don't want to send another person through that heartache that I have felt so many times in my life by not having their size, by them falling in love with this minimalistic design and saying, I want that hoodie only to find out that it caps out of a certain size. So If I have to go to the Czech Republic to help somebody avoid that pain, that's what I'm going to do. Well, then, with that said, will you please read the announcement? (laughs) Yes, I will. I will read the announcement. It says all shipping is now free. The prices have been updated to reflect shipping costs in order to make sure that we don't lose money because Jeff set it up to get sent from the Czech Republic, which is fair. I mean, I I probably deserve that because I did. But it was for you, people. It was for you, person who has just been in too many stores where there isn't your size. It is for you, person who's tired of having to look at the big and tall section. You just want to be treated like everybody else. I did that for you. But because we were losing money, apparently we're not allowed to do that anymore. And it is unfortunate. Well, we do have most of the sizes. There's some stuff that had to change because there's some stuff where it's like, you we, we tried to go all the way up to like a 5X just to make everything available. But some of them, like the jackets, it was like, we could only get it from a European supplier. So I don't, I feel like a European 5X is probably like an American medium. So to, to we, be fair, I didn't expect anybody to buy a jacket. That was more for just looks on the side of like, hey, this looks cool. It's a, It was marketing. Okay, I respect that now that we've yeah, cleared that I, up. Nobody's going to buy that one. I mean, you should, I think it looks great, but I didn't expect anybody to buy that. So, so yeah. I mean I get it I get your I get your your qualm there it's very valid but we've sold zero and I expected to sell zero but it looks great it does look it. great and I was going to order a sample and that's how actually I think it was the crew I wasn't going to get the hoodie it was the crew neck and that's what well know, the crew neck now the crew neck is an interesting one because the crew neck has been selling like crazy we've yeah. sold a lot of the crew necks and the crew neck I don't think they all came from the Czech Republic. Okay. I, think, I think the first supplier, because I remember doing this, the first supplier, there were some variants that were sold out of that supplier. So I had to mm-hmm. select a new supplier, and it just gave me a little pop-up box that said, do you want us to find a new supplier? So I clicked go. So maybe that is how we ended up at the Czech Republic. Possibly. Either way it's my fault I should have paid attention to I mean, what we're doing. It's, but it's it really it's just funny, right? Like if It's hilarious is what it, it is. It is hilarious and if we lost 20 bucks on a couple orders then I mean it's still funny, right? And if it cost we lost 20, dollars that would be less money than we've lost doing the rest of this podcast. True. That is very true. And you know, it's been a great thing uh, one thing that I want to hit on before we go there was Pro football focused on their draft uh, account put out today, a, a stat that I never really considered before, but it's pretty cool once you kind of wrap your mind around it. It's highest graded QBs throwing past their first read in 2020. So, you know, guys, which really what this comes down to is, obviously, you have to have multiple good receivers because you got to have guys who more than one guy who can get open, right? If you only have one halfway decent receiver, like if this is, 2017 BYU and Matt Bushman is all you got, you're going to have a hard time. But so you got to have a couple good receivers, but it means you're coming off of your read fast enough that you can find other guys before the defense has time to react or get in coverage, or you're moving through things quickly to find the mismatch and see where guys are. And in that, it was their rating in PFF, Zach Wilson, number one, 94.7, Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma, 89.2. Justin Fields is third, 87.6. So, when you that is a very large gap between obviously Spencer Rattler is not eligible for the draft this year between Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, you know, like almost seven points in change in that rating. Zach Wilson was so, so, so good this year. He really was. He was phenomenal in so many aspects. Um, there's really not much more we can say about it. I mean, he was great. And I think that's a good note to end the show on. We've got some exciting stuff that we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. Signing day will be next week, and we will be able to talk about something, right, on signing day. There is going to be some things. Presumably, there will be a coach sometime in the future. I don't know when, but sometime in the future, there will be a coach. We'll be able to break down into him, and we'll be able to break down what is happening with BYU Hoops. February is a very, very big month. For the Cougar Cagers, a lot of the games that were canceled in December, January have been rescheduled for February, going to be a really fun month. Uh, Until then, Garrett, this has been a wonderful show. Everybody protect yourself, buy some silver, buy some Bitcoin. Don't rely on the government because they hate us. And Garrett made that very, very clear to begin the show. So give the government and everybody else hell this week, Garrett. Amen. Give them hell.